five, four, three, two, one. Hurts runs out of the pocket, looking for a deep Devonte Smith. One hander, it's the end. He's got it. Johnson pressure. Reddick buries him, and the Eagles with a big sack and the big play, and Reddick takes it over. The Philadelphia Eagles are going back to the Super Bowl. Is it there? It's a caught. Travis Kelsey with the touchdown on fourth and one. Here's Mahomes rolling out on third and four. He's going to go for the ash. He's got the marker. He's got the out of bounds to stop it. And Osai was hurt as he hit the bench. And a flag's coming in to put him 15 yards closer. Here's Butker for 45 yards. All the way. It's good. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won it. You're listening to another edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Here's your host, Peter J. Mulroy. What a wild weekend that was in the conference championship last week. The, the Philly-San Francisco game was just a crap fest, especially once Purdy went down. I, I even think the backup quarterback really was the fourth-string quarterback. Josh Johnson knew that he wasn't any good. I mean, Josh Johnson's been in the, the league so long that I covered him when I was in college, when he was playing at San Diego, when who other than Jim Harbaugh was his coach at San Diego. Then you get the Kansas City-Cincinnati game, which was wild for a multitude of reasons, which we will now get into. Thank you for joining me on another edition of Sports Today with Peter J. A little after 11 a.m. on the East Coast for those listening live. Lots to go over today. At 11.30, my buddy Pat Pickens of the game day. Nobody knows hockey like Patty. He's going to come on and talk about the local hockey scene. Uh, Rangers, Island, Islanders, Devils. Big trade during the week for the Islanders that we're going to get into. All right, revolving around around Anthony Bavillier and Bo Horvat coming uh, to Long Island. Obviously, the Super Bowl set. You're going to get Chiefs, Eagles. Chiefs got to get healthy. Everybody knows that. But we'll talk a little bit about that. And then, really, the big news of the week. Well, it was twofold. Right? Earlier in the week, you get Brady's retirement. And in my opinion... From my perspective, this is legit. He's done. He's not coming back. 23 years uh, in the league. What he's done, nine Super Bowl trips, seven titles with two different teams, just cementing his legacy as the GOAT. I really don't think there's much debate there. Um, I'll I'll share with you who I feel my top five quarterbacks are uh, later in the broadcast. But as far as the Brady news, and then you get big news out of college football yesterday. There were rumors and there were rumblings that, Change was coming to Tuscaloosa in Alabama. Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator, goes back to the NFL. It's going to take the same position with the New England Patriots. We knew that. Now Alabama's got shoes to fill again. It'll be their sixth offensive coordinators in eight years. That's big news when you consider how successful Alabama's obviously been. Right, The landscape of college football the last couple of years belongs to Georgia, but Alabama's making waves once again. And it's not just because you know Nick Saban is front and center on this with the NIL deal, the recruiting stuff. Alabama needs an offensive coordinator. The news comes in last night that they poached Tommy Reese from Notre Dame to bring the 30-year-old out to Tuscaloosa to run Saban's offense. Big deal. So you get 
the Super Bowl set, then you get the Brady retirement news, and then last night, right, midday, I would say, uh, going into the early part of the evening, Tommy Reese leaving South Bend to go out to Tuscaloosa to run the Alabama offense. So lots on the table. Uh, but we'll start where we should start um, with last week's conference championships. Uh, everything got underway with really the interesting layout of, of how this weekend was going to go. 49ers, Eagles, uh, the hot pick for most of the year in the NFC, despite how well the Eagles had played, in the opinion of many, was the San Francisco 49ers. Regardless if it was Trey Lance, who obviously went down early in the season, Jimmy Garoppolo, and then Brock Purdy, who hadn't lost a game since taking over for Garoppolo. And then what happens? Purdy goes down with an injury, and the game is basically over. The thing I want to focus on with last week's NFC Championship game, however, Philadelphia blew him out of the water. Once Purdy went down, effectively over. The running game was non-existent. Yeah, McCaffrey got into the end zone early. Purdy would come back in the game. And as it turned out, a lot of people hammering him. The, the young man legitimately could not lift his arm. So forget about throwing the football. Guy's getting crushed on social media. Broadcasters don't really know what's going on. By the way, got a torn UCL. It's going to take about six months to heal. So when he said he couldn't throw the freaking football, he wasn't kidding. Anybody who thinks that kid didn't want to be in that game, having not lost a start, led draft out of Iowa State, Gotten the 49ers this far, piggybacking what Garoppolo did to get him to that point before he took over, is, is, is just a clown. And you got a little egg on your face that this kid's going to take six months to heal, and he's got to go back into a quarterback battle next year uh, with Trey Lance because you'd have to assume Garoppolo's out. But let's focus from a Philadelphia Eagles perspective. You know how good that Eagles defense is. Up front, Hassan Reddick, you heard him in the open. He gets in the backfield as well as anybody in the league. Now, the, the question that I have for how this Eagle team can be defeated going into the Super Bowl, I mean, obviously uh, Mahomes, and we'll talk about him in the matchup with, with Cincinnati. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, playing on one leg, he looked pretty damn good. So imagine a healthy Pat Mahomes is going to be problematics, problematic. But as good as the Philly defense is, and as good of a season as Jalen Hurts has had, MVP caliber, if you paid attention to the last two weeks, the, the dominant wins over the Giants and the 49ers, in your opinion, did Jalen Hurts look that good? Did he look like an MVP-level quarterback like he did during the season? Did he look like someone who can carry the load the way he played in those two games? Now, you're going to be deceived by the final score. 38-7 against the Giants, pound the Niners last week. Open receivers missing on multiple occasions. The numbers in the Giants' victory were middle of the pack. The overall performance, if Jalen Hurts continues to play like this, against the Kansas City defense that really acquitted itself well last week against Joe Burrow and company, I think, that, I think that's where you have a problem investing in Philadelphia. Loaded defense, great offensive line. Hertz had been great the entire season. Now how healthy is he? We know he was banged up. Everybody's banged up this time of the year. But my concern is, even in those blowout wins over the Niners and the Giants, Jalen Hurts, to me, just looked off. You're able to lean on the running game. 
the strength of A.J. Brown on the outside. Devontae Smith makes catches that just blow your mind. But, I mean, on the whole, the last couple of weeks, my perspective, yeah, I, 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 I don't think Jalen Hurts looked like he did for most of the season. You're never going to get anyone that plays at this high of a level to say, yeah, well, it's an injury. Purdy aside, I mean, that kid was, was devastated last week. And it turned out to be a UCL injury, like I just said. But nobody's ever going to, if they can play, they're going to play. Look at Mahomes. But if, if, if Jalen Hurts plays the way uh, he played the last couple of weeks against a healthier Kansas City defense in a Super Bowl come February 12th in Arizona, yeah, I, I, I think that's a big problem for Philadelphia. Now, yeah, I think you have a legitimate backup there. If something were to go wrong, Jalen Hurts would get hurt. We don't really have to talk about that. That's that's looking way ahead, uh, you know, serious, serious issue. But I think that needs to change if this Philadelphia team is going to continue their dominance. Now, look, the Giants are freaking light years away from, from being in the same arena as that Eagles team. And you saw what it means to just, there was no quarterback play for San Francisco last week when Purdy went down. You just knew there was going to be no semblance of a passing game. So I think many times if, if you go and unpack these games and you really look at it from the perspective of, okay, let's break this down, X's and O's wise, each position top to bottom. What, are, what do the Eagles do well? They pressure the quarterback, they've got a great secondary, and they have one of the best offensive lines in the league. But if you're being analytical and you're being realistic, the last couple of weeks, whether it's related to injury or otherwise, the point I'm making is that is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is Jalen Hurts has not looked good. And you're going to look at the scoreboard and say, what is this guy talking about? I'm telling you, missed a lot of throws. The passing numbers against the Giants were not particularly good. Now, the Giants offense couldn't stay on the field, so the defense was exhausted. They had their way. They were able to run all over the Giants all night. Similar last week against, against San Francisco. But there seems to be a belief that this Eagle team, you know, if I had to put my money on now, even though he's struggling, I would still like the Eagles in the Super Bowl. We'll talk more about that next week. Um, and I'll give you some insight into how next week's show is going to go. I, you know, I you fall in love with this team's just steamrolling people. The charisma of Nick Sirianni. Who, who strikes me as just being an unbelievable pain in the ass. But here he is in the Super Bowl. You have to take this from a legitimate analytical perspective here. Jalen Hurts got to play better. Now, And this is not me hammering the kid. I love him. He's exceptional. As far, if, if you think Daniel Jones is the second best quarterback in the NFC East, he's still light years away from being as talented as Jalen Hurts. That's how good he is. So if he's banged up, God bless him because he's going to continue to play through it. But if he wants to win a Super Bowl, he's going to have to play better because now you're going to go up against the best quarterback in football. As much as I love Joe Burrow, and I, those of you who listen to the program basis know how I feel about Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Pat Mahomes is the best. And he proved that last week once again. And he's going to have an opportunity to do it next week in Arizona. But Hurts is going to have to play better. Now, the good news for Jalen Hurts is he probably has the best defense in football backing him up. And he's got an offensive line that can protect him. But he's going to have to start making some throws that you just have to make. Passes to Goddard over the middle, airmailing Brown a couple times. 
can't happen. It's got to get better. It's got to be cleaned up. Can it be sure? I mean, look how good the guys played um, start to finish of the year. It's just the last couple of weeks, I think, might be getting it carried away from the scoreboard and saying, ah, they'll figure it out. Best team in football. Yeah, they might be. I mean, you went chalk right down the road if you thought that this would be the Super Bowl matchup 1v1 Kansas City and Philadelphia. I mean, you're not reinventing the wheel here going out on a limb and saying, well, I'm, I'm going to put my money that's going to be Kansas City, Philadelphia. Duh. But now you've got that matchup. And if Mahomes is, is, is healthy, because he wasn't last week and look what he did. And then if that Kansas City defense plays the way it did last week, backing Burrow into a couple of corners, keeping him out of the end zone late in the first half, forcing turnovers. I know we'll get into some of the calls in a minute. But if that's going to be the defense that Kansas City's going to out there, assuming they're able to get a little healthier with the week off, and Jalen Hurts plays the way he's singularly been playing, it could be problematic and spell bigger issues for Philadelphia. We'll see. Because the way that they've been steamrolling people, it, Purdy goes down, that San Francisco team's just not the same. But you saw that it was a contest before Purdy went down. Johnson comes in the offense of San Francisco, just can't do anything, even with McCaffrey. But that was a tight game until he went down. Purdy would come back and he was just insignificant. Couldn't move. Couldn't raise his arm. Forget about throwing the football. And Jalen Hurts just did not play well. But the Eagles had done enough, dominant, eating on defense, feasting on Josh Johnson to get them now into the Super Bowl. But the bottom line is Hertz is going to have to play better. With that being said, my buddy Joe Jett is here. Joe, what's up, pal? Hey, Peter. How's it going, man? How's everything? Good, good to hear from you, brother. Listen, I, I, I don't mean to sound like pounding on a 14-win Philadelphia team who's going to the Super Bowl, but I think the last couple of weeks from my perspective, I, Jalen Hurts just hasn't looked very good. And I think we're masked by the fact that the Eagles just absolutely tombstone the Giants and the 49ers. Yeah, I kind of agree a little bit, Peter. But, um, you know, let's look at it this way. In all the years of watching these conference championship games and things, or the playoffs, so to speak, yeah. the Eagles, I mean, could you get any easier road to get to the Super Bowl? Yeah, that's what a lot of people are saying, too. And then Purdy gets hurt, you know. I mean, the, But the bottom line is, Joe, they got there, right? So, oh, no, and listen, and Peter, I'm not taking nothing away from the Eagles. Probably the best team throughout the league. Yeah. When we look back at it, they were probably the best team in the league. That's why they're favored in the Super Bowl. And and, and I think you know you got a, a a week and a half, you know, you know, eight days now, basically, until uh, we really get ready for for uh, for the Super Bowl. Those lines might continue to move depending on the health of both teams and whatnot, especially that, that Kansas City defense and the overall health of um, Travis Kelsey and Pat Mahomes. But for the purposes of this Eagles team, you know, I, it, there were instances where Jalen Hurts is missing throws. He didn't look overly confident. And then all the defense had to do really was take the field because the Giants offense couldn't do anything. And you saw how just completely outmatched San Fran was last week with Josh Johnson back there. It rendered Christian McCaffrey uh, useless. One of the best running backs in football, useless, um, because they just weren't able to move the chains at all. Um, but I, my, my concern with Philadelphia would be, ironically enough, because it hadn't happened all year, even when he came back from the injury, 
has been the play lately of Jalen Hurts. Yeah, this is true. And it's also, you know, the Super Bowl is not the playoffs. It's not the wild card round. It's not the, you know, this is the Super Bowl. This is the biggest spotlight. So we're going to see, obviously, Mahomes knows about it. The Ch- Andy Reid knows all about it. Routine as usual. So it's got to be, you know, this is, it's supposed, you got the two teams that probably deserve to be there. But let's, I want to go over the championship games first, just for a minute. Just yeah. for a quick minute, okay? I don't know if you brought it up in the opening monologue, but to me, can you please tell me, Peter, how Shanahan does not call a timeout on that 50-yard bomb to the six-yard line? It would have been they, – they, they didn't challenge it. It was clearly not a catch. That was the – the Eagles go uh, – they go up 7 nothing Philadelphia, and then everything falls downhill from there. Yeah, I think you, especially from watching it from home, you're a little mystified there. Even if it stands to take that T.O. and have the opportunity to take a breath and say, hey, maybe we should get this looked into, I think it was mystifying. I agree with you. Because what you saw was, even after Philly scored that touchdown, with Purdy in the game, there was there was movement. There was momentum. They were able to move the ball a little bit. They were running the ball. Uh, they had gotten some stops. He goes down, plays like that happen, and the game is over. So I, you, you kind of wonder, Joe, and that's a good point that you make. I mean, what are you thinking there to not even it, – it looked like they were just content to let go and, and, and play with the house money there and see if they can keep them out of the end zone, which, of course, they did not. And I think that really, whether we knew it or not at that moment, might have been the, uh, the solidifying point in the game for Philadelphia especially, from an emotional standpoint. You're right, Peter. And especially when the receiver jumped up and was rushing his team down the field. Oh yeah. Waving them all the way down, get to the line, get to the line, get to the line. Right. It's, it's a timeout in a zero zero game in the first half. Give, give your crew a chance to look at this play. It would have been, if I'm not mistaken, that was fourth down also. That was a fourth down yep. play that bomb. It would have been their ball at around midfield somewhere. Anything could have happened in this game. Yeah, that I, was he, a huge play, man. It really was big for Frisco. And not the first time we've seen Sirianni and company go for those long plays on fourth down. Uh, Mid-December, they did the same. They ran the same play to Smith on fourth down and at MetLife Stadium against the Giants. And that's, that, was, that was the game right then and there. Philly went on to uh, stomp them out uh, at MetLife Stadium. And really, it was almost a carbon copy of what happened in the San Francisco game. But I'm with you. Just It, it almost seemed like he, Shanahan's not paying attention there. Or maybe he was given false information, which is possible. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I, I thought that was a, a head-scratching non-move there, Joe. No, I totally agree. And speaking of head-scratching, Peter, we need to take a few minutes here and talk about this Kansas City-Cincinnati game. I have quite a few things to talk about (laughs) with this football game, okay? I'm watching this, you know, I have no dog in the fight. Mm -hmm. I watch a football game here, and wow, you got to tell me, Peter, did it look like the official, this guy was Ron Tabor, whatever his name, I mean, Mm -hmm. what went on in this football game was criminal was outright criminal. Tell me what you were thinking as you were watching the game, Peter. Well, I'll say this. It, the, that late hit on Mahomes out of bounds, the Osai hit, 
um, you know, where he was completely upset the 15 yarder. That that that's a bad job. We know that we don't have to hammer the guy. That was that really wasn't up for debate. But I think the problem that that you are referring to and what the masses have had a problem with is fourth quarter, a little over 10 and a half remaining in the game. Uh, now, what you see is a pass from Pat, Pat Mahomes to Travis Kelsey short of the line to game to move the chains. Punt units for both teams getting ready to trot onto the field. The play was apparently blown dead. And a line judge blew it dead because the clock was running when it should not have. That play is given a redo. I think the perception and the way that that was handled to the people who think that the NFL, you know, and then there's a, a large majority of people who think the NFL is rigged, who think it's scripted. If you go back and watch that, this play was blown dead. The, the, the line judge was moving in to blow the whistle, and I guess apparently nobody heard it. Now, for the purposes of Cincinnati sideline, I would get being up in arms as well, because what does that do? You give the play a redo. Later in the series, Eli Apple, the defensive back for Cincinnati, gets called for defensive holding. That extends the drive. It turns out that Kansas City would punt on that drive anyway, Joe, but time came off the clock. And after Butker nailed the game-winning kick in late in the fourth quarter, Cincinnati only had three seconds to try to mount the comeback. So all of that time ticked off the clock. I just thought, while it might have been the right thing that got done, the lack of communication and then the way that the, the officiating crew got together to explain it was horrendous. And I think that was the biggest problem that I had with it. When you went back and saw the replays, they were trying to blow the play dead. The clock was running. But the way it was handled was 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 juvenile. Right. I totally agree. And like you said, the Bengals would have had a minute and a half left on the clock after the kick by Bucca. But that's that's something else. Let's go back to a little bit earlier. How about they call intentional grounding on Joe Burrow, okay? With the receiver not in the area, which he was. We all saw it. Okay. Four plays later, Mahomes does the exact same play. Of course not. Of course, there's no intentional grounding. Yeah. Because it's not Mahomes. We know he's the NFL poster boy and everything like that. And Andy Reid's the sentimental guy. I, I understand all of this. You know, and on the play where Mahomes ran out of bounds, and the late hit is the proper call. No doubt about it. But if you look at the replay, the defensive lineman for the Bengals is getting killed. His, uh, the guy's yeah. arm is under his throat. He's waving his hands. Of course, they don't see it. Of course, you know, it, it, it's just really almost like as much as they can assist the Chiefs in, you know what? They gave him a little push. But then, again, you know, the Bengals didn't help their own, right? They weren't exactly playing great football either. No, I really thought from a from an X's and O's perspective in that game, Cincinnati not scoring late in the first half uh, really spelled doom for them later in the game. You know, getting down 13-3 in the blink of an eye, it seemed they come back and tie it. Then you're 20-20 late. It turns out to be a field goal winner with three seconds left for Kansas City. So they had their opportunities. Burrow played well, but Patrick Mahomes played superhuman in that game. Now, yes. Joe, I don't disagree with you. There were some calls where it almost seemed like the officials would turn their head and act like they didn't see them. Right. But I right. but I think when you're looking at it from a pure 
football perspective in an AFC championship game against two of the best quarterbacks in the league, which is it, you would expect we're going to see a lot of them for years to come, a decade plus between Mahomes and Burrow. That's how good these two are. Patrick Mahomes at not even close to 100% with Travis Kelsey, who was a game-time decision late because of a neck problem for what they were able to do. Mahomes specifically, he's the best. I mean, I was all on the Burrow train like many people, and I still am. The guy's a stud, but Mahomes is in a league of his own. Yes, there's there's no argument. He's the best in the league right now. And um, hey, look, you know, Kansas. This, you know what? I this is. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl. I got to admit, this is going to be a really good football game. I I I can't see it being a blowout either way. I think it's going to kind of be tight, and I think it's going to be entertaining. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, and hey, Joe, listen, I'm glad you you brought that up right on cue. Uh, Next week's show, we're going to move it from the usual 11 a.m. live spot for those listening live to Friday night, all right, February 10th, prime time, 6 p.m. Got some big guests coming on. Bruce Shine of ML Network fame is going to join me for a little bit. Uh, Pat Pickens is going to come on to uh, throw in some uh, gambling tidbits on the Super Bowl. He works over at game day, so he knows the ins and outs of – the gambling world. He's coming on in a little bit to talk some NHL as well. So next week, we're going to do a show live at 6 p.m. Friday the 10th at 6 p.m. right here on Podbean Live. It's going to be the Super Bowl special uh, loaded show. So, Joe, I'll get your opinion early with uh, eight days before the Super Bowl. You got a pick in the game yet? Or are you waiting? No, there's nothing to wait for. We, you know, <laughs> we had 18 to 20 weeks to see both of these teams play. Uh, there's nothing to wait for, and you know what, Peter? I'm listen. Fly Eagles, fly. I know you hate to hear it, but you know what? And I tell you, you know what? There's one thing I like about the Eagles that everyone hates them, and they know it, and they thrive off that. They yeah. know nobody likes them, nobody likes the city of Philadelphia, but you know what? Their fans thrive off it. And and I'm and I'm just I'm just gonna be on their side, man. Why not? Well, I, listen, we we got plenty of time to to break down some of the you know the ins and outs that are gonna take place. We'll get updated injury reports throughout the week leading up to Super Bowl Fifty Seven. And I'm with Joe. I think it's gonna be a good one. I can't wait till next Friday's show in the prime time hour. We'll have a great audience for that. Uh, a slew of guests that are gonna come on. Uh, it's gonna be a good one. And then we'll we'll get there eventually. Uh, the final game in the NFL season, Super Bowl Fifty Seven. Uh, Chiefs Eagles next Sunday in Arizona. It's going to be a fun one. Joe, thanks for chiming in, brother. We'll, uh, we'll I'll talk to you during the week, and then uh, we'll get you on next Friday to chat a little bit about the big game. You got it, Peter. We'll do. All right, that's the great uh, Joe Jet giving us a ring. And again, folks, for now being on uh, not just Podbean but Samsung, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, and uh, Spotify. Couldn't have done it without the loyal listeners and the, and the fans chiming in on on both the platforms live uh, and the post record and then throughout social media. Uh, can't thank you enough for that. Eleven twenty seven on the East Coast for those listening live sports today with Peter J. Right, just a final thought on Championship Weekend, and it really stems from Kansas City Cincinnati game. Now, fr- from someone who knows, and, and I've done some high level stuff, some big games. Uh, ESPN, MSGs. I, I know how difficult live television and radio can be. That being said, 
when you have a responsibility to report the news, to broadcast the game, to give insight, you need to be prepared. You have a responsibility to do your due diligence and be prepared for the job that you have. I am not someone who likes to hammer people for, for doing a difficult job. And sports broadcasting on the grandest of stages is not easy. That being said, and I widely talked about, but I, I wouldn't be doing my duties here uh, hosting this radio program if I didn't bring it up. Tony Romo was absolutely atrocious during the AFC championship game. It was unlistenable. It got so bad. I mean, I actually said it to my wife, whether she was listening to me or not. She usually ignores me when I watch sports. I mute the TV. I changed the game altogether, which is why me watching the highlights was so important. I, I just, it was, it was unlistenable. It was, it was evident that there was no preparation whatsoever. Now you read these articles that CBS regretting the 10-year, $180 million deal they gave Romo a few years back. But the lack of preparation to me was astonishing. General phrases, ooing and eyeing. Listen, you want to praise Patrick Mahomes, I'll do it till the cows come home. 24-7. The kid is unbelievable with what he's able to do on one leg last week. But when the camera's not on him and you're still drooling over him, well, there's massive plays going on. Oh, by the way, Joe Burrow's the opposing quarterback. It's a little much. Now, talking about Pat Mahomes, if he's some sort of Greek god, when he's not even in a discussion. Case in point, somebody explain to me what this means. Just fling it. A little risky. The wizard is still <laughs> wizardry. But right here, oh, he might have been down. That what are you talking about? The wizard is still wizardry. I'm an ELA teacher. I would have had a heart attack if one of my students would have said that to me. The wizard is still wizardry. And then you've got generic phrases over and over. Folks, again, he's a CBS color commentator. He was the quarter, the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not in the business of hammering this guy. But it was uncomfortable. For a good football game, I, I think that officiating crew is getting nailed for instances where it's unnecessary. And I know the Osai hit late has a lot of people rubbed the wrong way. That was a penalty. And the, the, the penalty that came, the redo with 10 and a half to go on the third down uh, pass from Mahomes to Kelsey, they were blowing that play dead, the officials. On the replay, you see them trotting in. It was just bad the way it was handled. But Tony Romo not having any clue as to what was going on while all of this was happening, where they had to go to Gene Steratore a couple times and Nance had to cut him off, that's, that's a bad look for CBS. You know, maybe Romo's getting a little too comfortable for how, you know, you know Romo Stradamus or whatever they were calling him when he would predict things and then they would happen. That was all well and good, and I think he's a good broadcaster, but this stems from a lack of preparation. And I just thought that that was something that I, I felt like needed to be brought up from a different perspective. Just not nailing the guy like he's getting crushed on social media uh, and other media outlets. Bad look, yes. Uncomfortable, yes. 
but we'll see where they go. Apparently, CBS wanted to have some type of intervention with him, which I think is a little ridiculous. Romo, just do your homework and you'll be fine. Just prepare and do your homework and you'll be good. And that's it. Here's Letty, wristing the puck around. Luna kept it away from Bavillier. Now Bailey over for the Islanders. Now off the giveaway, score! Anthony Bavillier sends the Islanders down to Tampa for Game 7 on Friday night. That turned out to be the last goal at the old Nassau Coliseum. In 2021, Anthony Bavillier, who was the hero of Long Island, now no longer a part of the team on Long Island. I bring in my buddy, Pat Pickens from the game day. Patty, how are you, kid? What's going on? What's up, Pete? How are you doing, bud? Good, man. Uh, let's, I, I know you caught the end of my little Romo spiel yes. there. Uh, so, for, I mean, from some, before we get into the hockey, but from someone who works in media, I mean, I, <laughs> I think he's getting crushed a little bit too much. But for someone mm-hmm. like you and I, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that was just a lack of preparation on his part, no? Seems like it's been that, you know, sort of that way all year, right? You know, it's, it's funny to hear that, you know, when he was like the wonder kid, right? Like you were talking about the the uh, the predictor and then, you know, ESPN was was right there to, to sort of whisk him away. And, and can you imagine a performance like that weekly on, on Monday Night Football? I mean, I understand that that you know the a booth at cbs is a, is a huge deal and you yeah. know, millions of people are watching you know 10 20 million people are watching every every sunday but like if that was espn and it was him with joe buck or or Tariq or whoever not Tariq, uh but whoever was would would be the the the, the play-by-play like yeah that that would be you know an ongoing thing and like you said it's just it's wild to hear how it's it's wild to see and, and listen to and hear how far things have gone i agree with you too to some degree that that you know just sort of get back in the film room you know get watch you know look for trends look for what's happening it's just uh i don't know maybe like you said maybe you got a little comfortable and get a little cozy in that booth but um you know 180 I, million dollars might do it yeah i would do it for me too uh also, you know i'll say this you know the cvs booth has been a little bit spotty all year i thought you know steratore like you mentioned steratore um and obviously i'm not i'm not you know this isn't my job this is just you know to sort of steratore seems to be protecting officials at all costs. Yeah. Uh, Nance is Nance and Romo's a little bit, like you said, a little underprepared um, all year. You know, I listened to the Cincinnati Buffalo game the week prior and it just sounded like a, you know, they were glowing over everything over, uh, you know, all the officials made a great call. Oh, this is a great play. Oh, this is a super game. And it's just like, it was not, a, you know, that was not an all time game, you know, great performance for the Bengals, but like, uh, I, there was a very, you know, sort of sycophantic sort of, you know, rah, rah over every little thing. And I, and I, yeah, there, I'm was with no, you. There's, there was nothing critical at all. And you listen to the other broadcast and, you know, the NFL wants you to believe everything's super and exceptional. And even the DeMar Hamlin stuff that came out of that, you know, some of the, the controversies about him being in the building, I'm not, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but like, it just, it really didn't, didn't, uh, it really felt like very rah, rah, you know, go NFL. And uh, and it seemed like that was dialed back a little bit for the the championship game, but like sure. it it was a strange listen there, and and uh, and I think there you know I don't know that marquee changes need to be made, but um, but they're definitely you know this is trending in the wrong direction. I think they have a year to figure it out, and we'll see where where they go next season. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and you know we uh, just to switch gears, you heard yeah. the the Bavillier audio yeah. uh, from the yeah. the twenty one sure. Eastern Conference Final. 
Mm-hmm. We got a lot of hockey fans that listen to the program, Pat. Um, yeah. And even when we were back on the call when we had John. Yeah. The question for you, and starting with the Islanders here, um, it felt like really just a, even a couple of weeks and months ago. And I know Bavillier didn't have the the offensive start yeah. that uh, people th- you know were hoping they would have out on Long Island, but it seemed like he was still part of the long term future. Was this deal to get Horvat just too good to pass up for the Islanders? It's hard to say because, you know, I, I had that same thought. You know, it's, it's interesting you played the clip. I knew exactly what the clip was when I heard, you know, Kenny Albert on the call. Um, and it's funny to think, you know, if you follow Islander fans or you see Islander fans on Twitter or on social media, they are there's so much associated with the Coliseum, obviously for, for good reason. But but that that is probably the biggest, certainly the biggest goal at the Coliseum uh, after ni- like nineteen, you know, nineteen eighty four, eighty five, and beyond, I would say probably people and, were crying. Yeah, and and deservedly, In tears. You know, yeah, and like you know, so so there obviously was the you know Tavares goal where they won the series in, in Barclays Center, and that was a little different because they've sort of they were sort of nomadic, and yes. that series win sort of felt you know and 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 then obviously what happened with UBS and, and everything, but but that was like you said that was the last goal at the Coliseum. But again, it was like it was really one of the biggest goals in in the organization's history. Again, outside of the you know the cup runs and and you know it probably still would be considered a top ten goal in Islanders history. And and um, and I know you know there, there is a bit of randomness to some of this stuff where you know it just happened to be Anthony Bavillier. I feel you know to some degree, but um, and, and like you said, he hasn't had a great season at all. He's been you know and and let's be fair, you know neither has the team. You know so it's sort of a a a product the situation of 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 where this team is is right now you know f- still trying to cling to a, a contending status and and Bovillier obviously again a marquee you know contributor especially with that goal um, take you know two two consecutive uh, conference finals and and two game seven in twenty twenty one against the Lightning I you know I I think this was this to to to, to watch this view. It reeks of a Lou Lamarillo old school type blockbuster where he sure he, does, yeah. Where his team needs a shakeup in a, in the biggest way, and you know they do. They are you know the the and and as someone you know, I have a, friends who are Islander fan, fans. Who I have you know again follow a bunch on social media, and there's just been this outcry of what what is wrong with this team? They're ruining another season, a great season from Sorokin. Um, he's been exceptional, and 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 he and he can only carry them so far. But um, you look at where they're headed, you know, three, five, and two in their past ten. You know, very, you know, really on the on the certainly like on the brink of falling <laughs> off a cliff in terms of the the, the playoff race. And yeah, and I think Lou just, you know, Lou's always had this 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 sort of mentality that, you know, he, he's, the future be damned, you know, for to, for better or worse, you know, and and you know, all we have is the right now, and and this he felt this team needed a shakeup. Now, you know. The, the the first round pick they gave up was is top twelve protected. So if they fall out of the race, uh, they're they're not going to have to give up the first this year. And and but the you know it's then becomes unprotected next season. So then if they're even worse next year, I think he he saw that there was the opportunity to go get really probably the best goal scorer on the market, even for and again uh, a few weeks ahead of the the, the, the trade deadline. And he felt he you know Bovillier was expendable, and and we'll see what happens with. With uh, Raddy and you know Ray or uh, Rady or, or I, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but um, 
you know, we'll see what happens and see where it goes in that regard. That he was, he felt, I think, that they were close enough and and needed a jolt enough to go get Horvat. Maybe he thought that there is the opportunity to sign him with his rights. Um, and I've I've seen it on social media, and I don't, you know, as someone who's followed Lou Lamarillo for decades, you know, the, the perception was that you know if they acquire Horvat and they fall out of it, they could flip him again. And we've seen that happen before where, especially in baseball, where a team makes a deal ahead of the trade deadline and, and then falls out of the race and they, and they flip the, the player for, for more assets. But uh, the way Lamarillo behaves and, and acts and, and, you know, and there's still only two points out of a playoff spot. I know that, you know, they're, they've played the most games or, or not the most. Well, yeah, they played them, you know, they played as many or more games in Pittsburgh and Buffalo and as many as Florida and and but there's still only two points you know out of the, that race even though they're fa- they're fading fast and um you know th- there's definitely a jolt to that you know Horvat is an exceptional goal scorer he's a center he you know really needed they really need to take some of the heat off of Barzell um on that top line move, where does he move to the outside now I wouldn't think so but you know I think there is a you know certainly a Look, you know, you look at the great teams and the great cup contenders, and I'm not going to say the Islanders are a cup contender by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, you look at the great teams and they are, you know, they need, especially come playoff time, you need to have some depth, especially down the middle, down the middle when the matchups start, uh, when, when teams start matching up their best. Because you look at it, if the Islanders sneak into the playoffs, man, they're going to play the Bruins in the first round. And, and yeah. you you got to have, you know, Patrice Bergeron going to going to level that line. And you know he's been doing it for decades. So, so maybe you know maybe they start Barzell on the outside. I, you know I've seen it where you know maybe there's a line rush with Corvette and Barzell. I can't imagine that they're gonna that they're gonna screw with with Barzell in the middle where yeah. he's played as their top line center for for the whole for his whole career. Basically, there's just not enough. Um, there's really to me just not enough of a uh, you know there, there, you know there's depth on the line, on the roster, you know, to some degree, but there's not enough to, from my vantage point that you would screw with having Barzell play on the outside. Okay. Um, you know, I would think you would, you'd rather move, uh, you know, you'd put Barzell, get a better matchup, play him, you know, against other teams, second line um, and see how that goes. But yeah, you know, obviously you can't rule it out. You never know what's going to happen with, because you know, the Horvath's been traded and, and, you know, well, he was representing the Canucks last night at the skills competition. So it's just such a strange, uh, what a disaster that, yeah. uh, by the way. Yeah. Oh my, you know, Lord. I didn't, I tuned in for a minute and I tuned out <laughs> just as quickly just cause I saw Twitter kill him. There were a couple of events that looked kind of fun. You know, the, the dunk tank and the, and the, uh, you know, the, the, I, I, the, the golf thing was intriguing to me, but I, yeah, good, good night for Brock Nelson. But, um, but no, it's, it didn't, did not seem like a good night for the NHL. No, uh, not at all. Half empty arena to uh, to boot. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was interesting, but for the wrong reasons. Um, yes. Yeah, coming out of Long Island, I mean, sixth in the Metro Division right now is is yeah. certainly not where the Islanders wanted to be. But I think uh, now that we're you know past the midway point of this season, it's probably fair to say that you can comfortably take the New Jersey Devils seriously. Um, I mean, the way Hughes and Hamilton on both sides of the ice, I think, have played this year. I mean, Jack Hughes is probably better than he was even advertised. And on defense, the 34 assists to this point in the season for Hamilton, uh, plus what they're getting in the net, second in the Metropolitan Division, 32 victories to this point. I mean, this is uh, 
are they ahead of schedule, Pat, or is this kind of where they should be? Do you think? No, no, they're ahead of schedule for sure. Okay. You know, it's funny because they 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 signed Hamilton out, on uh, out of UFA in before last season, and and the you know they gave him a huge deal. I think it was you know seven years, fifty million dollars, something in that neighborhood. And the perception was that Hamilton was a star caliber defenseman. You know, a, a number one defenseman. If you, you know, if you look at the at the, you know, if you're checking the checklist of things that you need to be considered a cup contender, you need the number one center, you need the number one defenseman, you need the, you know, consistent goaltending, and you need enough, you know, wing players, you know, with, with chemistry, with continuity, with that those centers to to make plays and score. You know, that's where the Islanders have fallen. Sure. You know, they have they have Barzell, the number one center. But you know they they don't quite have the number one defenseman. Obviously, Sorokin covers up a lot of their warts in goal. But um, but you know there there are pieces missing on, on that team. And and you look at the Devils, and it's funny to me because you know we we obviously we talked in the fall about whether they were for real. They had that incredible uh, win streak in in October into November, and then they kind of cratered in that sort of end of November December sort of area. And it was a real good litmus test about where the team was headed because, you know, they, they had ridden that ride of, uh, you know, they were the first two games they're chanting fire Lindy. Then the fans are, you know, screaming, Lindy, you know, apologizing to Lindy Ruff for, for calling for his head. And then they sort of hit a wall. And, the you know, the question was whether they, you know, whether this was a, a essentially a, a market correction or whether this was a team that was going to, you know, be ahead. Cause, cause if you look at it last season, they had a, not a similar, they weren't as dominant in the first two months, but they were in the playoff chase for the first two months. And then their goaltending completely fell off a cliff, um, especially, you know, injuries and Hamilton was injured and, and there were, you know, and then the team, the, the season went completely to hell. And there was a question about whether there would, that would be the case or whether they would hang on and make the playoffs or whether they were going to be a wild card team or whether, you know, what, what was because they lost a few games to the Bruins and they lost a few games to Carolina and they lost to the Rangers. And there was a, a moment, you know, from, from my vantage point, I think from, you know, when you look back at the season where they, they won a game, they had lost, I don't know, like, I think like eight, eight home games in a row. Yeah. And they played the Rangers and, you know, and you know, these double Rangers games are, you know, essentially are, are road games for the Devils, even at, even at Prudential. <laughs> Or especially at Prudential, you know, compared to the Meadowlands where, where fans can come in from, you know, they can drive in from North Jersey. They can take the train in from Midtown or, and they won an overtime. They came back and they won an overtime. And since they've been on fire, you know, they've beaten Carolina. They've beaten, you know, they're a tremendous road team. They're the best road team in the NHL. I think that's going to fare well for them, obviously, as they get to the playoffs. 100%. Um, Yep. I mean, assuming they could get – well, again, if they're going to play the Rangers, especially because, you know, again, they're going to play seven road games potentially with the uh, with the, the crowd split that, in that way. Um, but, you know, since they've been dominant and they lost the game in Nashville and they, you know, but but they rebounded and won in Dallas. And, they like you said, Hughes, you know, if not for Connor McDavid, Jack Hughes would be the MVP of the league because yeah. he's been in just otherworldly offense. You know, you look at – and to, you know, to your point, you know they are they are certainly ahead of schedule in part because of the season he's having. You know, I think you know we talk with friends who are Devils fans, and they say, "Well, look, you know, is this team one of the best teams in the NHL, or is it a playoff team, or is it you know playing over its head?" I think you know, and and that this that you could go from 
I think that, you know, they think they were a 65 point team last year to, again, you know, home ice advantage and, and challenging for the division win. And, you know, what happened? Well, the goaltending, they certainly figured it out. You know, Vitek Vanacek's been playing extremely well. Uh, I think, you know, other than, you know, his social life, forgive it, you know, otherwise Andrew Brunette has had a huge impact on, on this team. And, you know, you look at the style they're playing, they're playing, this, you know, sort of that up-tempo, aggressive, uh, you know, forecheck and puck possession and, and really making it hard on opposing defenses and their goaltending, you know, and, and they're getting the offense. And Hughes has been the, the marquee driver of that. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he is, you know, I wouldn't say he's better than advertised because, you know, this guy was the number one overall pick in 2019. Sure. There was a perception that, you know, he would be, uh, you'd be a superstar, number one caliber defenseman or not defense, center. And, you know, Nico Hischer could be the number two centerman and then, you know, sort of play that defensive role, sort of that shutdown role while Jack Hughes was playing the offensive driver role. But, you know, 64 points. And 33 goals, and I, it, I, it's hard to say that a play, like you said, that a player who would be drafted number one overall could be a, a you know, a better than advertised. But I think what we've seen is that you know he got sort of got ragdolled those first two or three seasons, and you know he broke his collarbone last season on a on a questionable hit against in an early season game against Seattle, and uh, and there was you know there's a perception that he came in undersized and I, you know, I think there's merit to it that he undersized and, you know, he was, he was like a child essentially playing amongst men. And I think what we've seen is that the skill is there. Obviously the skill has always been there, but there's a man in there and that he's sort of beefed up a little bit, put on some weight, you know, gotten more comfortable playing NHL. This is, you know, I think this is his, um, you know, this is his fourth season already. And this is the player that, that the Devils drafted number one overall in 2019. And, and I don't know that this is what you'd expect from him, you know, to be a, on pace for a hundred points or to potentially, you know, the franchise record of, for goals is 48, 506. Brian Gianta scored it. He's way ahead. He's ahead of that right now at this point. Uh, no Devils player has scored 50 goals in a season. So I don't know if we're going to, you know, I don't know that you can expect for him to be the sniper goal scorer type player. I think he's shooting like 15%, which is way above average or way uh, more than you'd expect. But, um, you know, the, I, I think there has been certainly the individual efforts of, of Hughes. And I, again, Vanacek's played a little over his head with, you know, a 917 save percentage, never played, never really been a starter even. And, uh, and he's cut, you know, he's given them that consistent goaltending that they really didn't have. You know, I think they played six or seven goalies in the, in the cage sure. last year. And AHL caliber, and, and certainly not NHL caliber, and uh, and, and it, so and all that leads up, and they're playing this aggressive puck possession style. So I think it's sustainable. I it's interesting to see them get on the other side of that 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 sort of um, crater they they fell into, and again look like a you know I, that was the question was how would they respond to that, and if you look how they respond, you know they're eight one one in their last ten, so. Uh, they're definitely here. Yeah, I mean, they're 12 points up on the playoffs, so they're going to be a playoff team. They're really like, it's almost looking like them and the Rangers in the first round is a lock, which, you know, sign me up for seven of those. I mean, I know you'd sign up for seven of those too. Well, um, I mean, yeah, the, the way that this is shaping out, I mean, it looks yeah. like you, you said before, Islanders now on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the Devils and then the Rangers, yeah. um, second and third in the Metropolitan Division, with the way Jersey's played it, now the Rangers of late, after kind of yeah. a, a gloom and doom start, um, yeah. you know what's interesting? And and just to piggyback the point that you made 
with uh, Jack Hughes and company in New Jersey, mm-hmm. Pat, is yeah. this resurgence and a more mature uh, Jimmy Vesey is coming back yeah. uh, to the blue shirts. I mean, you bounce around. Uh, I don't even think he spent half a season in Vancouver, stops in Buffalo, Toronto, and then New Jersey. Yeah. Um, come back in 48 games, nine goals, eight assists. I mean, he's a story that, I mean, if you really follow the Rangers, you yeah. know, there's not too much buzz around it. And I think he's one of the significant reasons, along with the play of, 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 of Trocek um, as their second line center, that th- this Ranger team has really taken off the last couple of weeks. I think, you know, you know, what you're, you know, what you've you historically know what you were going to get from BC. You know, he's, he's a, he's a defensive first player. He's a penalty killer. He, you know, he does quote unquote little things to help a team win. But you know, you, it's funny because there was so much, I mean, I'm sure you remember Pete, the buzz around who was going to sign this guy after he snubbed oh, yeah. uh, Buffalo and, 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 you know, Nat wasn't going to sign in Nashville either. And, and then it became this, you know, well, you know, the BC street stuff and, 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 and the Ranger fans, you know, really expected him to, to be this player when they signed him uh, out of college. And, and it just wasn't, you know, whether it was over, you know, too much expectation, whether it was, um, whether it was too, you know, too much expectation or he was miscast, you know, David Quinn, you know, I think I, you could make some, some comments about potentially maybe him, uh, you know, not not putting him in the right situation. But th- what's interesting to me is you you talk about him as a sort of resurgent player, and the, this idea that he can play with, like I mentioned before, you know, you need you need players who can complement your stars, obviously. And the Rangers, you know, are as star driven as any team in the league at all. You know, they they have all the pieces to be the cup contender, and that's why I can't, I would never rule them out. Uh, especially if they're going to go make a trade at the deadline, which it, it seems like they're they're po- I mean they're poised to. Um, but they're you know if, if Jimmy VC can can apparently play with superstar players, you know Mika Zibanejad, superstar number one defenseman, uh, Artemi Panarin, uh, the best offensive player on the Rangers. You know point production may not or the goal production may not show it, but he, you know yeah. he's he's the driver for offense. You know he made Ryan Strom a ton of money last season uh, after. Playing together, and and so much was made about you know what what kind of moves would would it be make would be made, um to to really uh, spruce up the Rangers' offense because it's remarkable to me because you said they're they're pretty locked into third spot in the Metro again the Devils and Rangers you know barring some sort of cat- catastrophic collapse they're going to play in the first round and yet. You know, so much made about the Devils' incredible season, and you said the Rangers are playing well too. But there's this level of like, of sort of uncertainty and 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 sort of this dark cloud that follows them for some I reason. I couldn't that agree happened. more. It's it's almost like an uncomfortable. You know, you're uneasy when you watch this team. They might win three yeah. in a row, and then they get smacked around on the road. Uh, yeah, it, 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 I, I'm with you there, and I can't quite figure out why. I think you know, if if I were to guess, you know, I think there was. Look, you know, we all remember last season, and last season was this sort of uh, magical ride. You know, Kreider sure. had all these goals, and they were, you know, Shesterkin was an MVP candidate, and Fox was playing really well, and he had this, uh, you know, was the reigning Norris winner, and again, had another good season. And, uh, you know, Panarin, and he scored the goal in the playoff in game seven. And, and there's just this sort of, you know, every now and then the Rangers have these sort of magical seasons that, that captivate the city. 
and sort of everybody gets along for the ride. And then you, then what, what happens next? You know, in 2014, when they went to the final and lost to the Kings, they won the president's trophy. They went to the, they were, you know, the best team in, in hockey all season. They were the number one seed, obviously the whole league, but in the East too. And, and, and they won some playoff games. There was some memorable playoff games over time and, and some series. And, and, and I think people are, are, we're sort of waiting for this team to take off. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's, you know, they were, people were glued into the giants or whether people were, you know, are, are sort of acutely aware of what the devils are doing, you know, across the river and sort of, you know, how can we be behind them? But there's just been this level of, of sort of malaise again, um, that, that to your point, you know, they, <laughs> they play, they play well in spurts. And, like they, they beat Vegas with Halak the other night or last, I guess it was last week at this point, but like their last game was a win, was a four, one win. Vegas is one of the best teams in the West. And and they beat him with the backup, but you know, to the point, you know, they they haven't beat the Bruins. They they lost, you know, they lost that awful game in Toronto where they gave up the late goal and then gave up the goal in overtime. You know, so I think there is a level of being propped up by by some of the 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 overtime stuff. You know, they have eight overtime losses. Um, you know, they've they've been to four outs. You know, there is a level of of, of maybe angst about what this team is capable of five on five. Although the the advanced numbers show that they're really really good at five on five. You know, much, and that's really what happens in hockey is this sort of year-to-year situation where they were the worst possession team in hockey last season, and they were propped up by goaltending and a, and a red power play. And this season, they're really good possession-wise. And again, you know, people make the point about you know Fox is not a Norris finalist at the moment, but only because the year Eric Carlson's having, and only because the year Rasmus Dalin's having, and only because you know Kale McCarr is still in the picture. But Fox has been incredible, and yeah. you look at some of their young stars. And the young stars are are playing, you know, playing well, but you know, not necessarily, you know, they're not producing like like uh, Cheadle's having a great season. Don't get me wrong, but you know, th- there is a level of maybe angst about the, the production when it matters. You know, can will they? I just think there's a level of angst around Ranger fans in general, where you know everybody, you know, as long as especially if they're not dominant, like if they're in a playoff run but not quite dominant, I think they they. The concern is that, you know, is, is this worth my time to continue to be a part, you know, on this ride if it's not going to ultimately go through it? Because there have been so many heartbreaks. The, the other two, they were up 2 nothing to Tampa last year and, and, and couldn't, uh, you know, win that third game even and lost in six and so close between them and Tampa. And, you know, again, the seven-game series with Tampa in 15 and, and they made it to the final in 14 and lost some heartbreaking games. I think there's just that level, you know, People are just sort of, you know, they they like what they see, but they don't necessarily believe in it, you know, because they're they're just waiting for the football to be to be pulled out yeah, from under them or the exactly. rug to be pulled out from under them. And I, th- but at the same time, you know, again, you know, this team is is very much lying in the weeds uh, with its star power. I don't think they would fear the Devils in a in a first round series by any stretch. You know, they beat Carolina last year in seven games, you know, blew them out in game seven. I think Carolina's different and better this year than they were last year. Again, especially if the goaltending remains healthy. Peter, Peter Kachekov would give them an element and goal that, that Auntie Ranta I don't think did. And Brent Burns on their on their power play, uh, you know, that power play was so awful for Carolina in that Rangers series last year. But I don't think there'd be a lot of fear going toe-to-toe with Carolina if they got there. So like the conference finals is not out of the question again as long as their star power is star playing star power and as long as Shesterkin is playing well which I think you know there is a level of 
angst about him too. You know, he's come around a little bit lately, you know, his save percentage up to 918. Uh, and, and, you know, there's certainly a level of concern about the backup situation. There has been all year. Halak's played better. He's up to six wins, but I think there is a level, I think just think, um, you know, it's been kind of a, a roller coaster for the Rangers to some degree. Like you said, they, you know, win three, lose in overtime. And I just, there also was a level of, you know, sort of show me what you can do against really good playoff caliber teams because you can get fat, uh, you know, winning games, you know, against non-playoff teams, but, but when it counts, can they, can they do it? You know, they, again, they lost to Boston pretty recently. Boston was playing second of a back-to-back and the Rangers were arrested and the and Boston took it to them. Um, you know, they lost that game. I mentioned the game in, in New Jersey. They lost the, that game in Tampa, the shootout loss where they had, I think they had the lead and then, and then lost it. Um, you know, I, I, there's a level of sort of, we'll believe it when we see it, I think, but you know, they're, they're very much on their way to the playoffs and, and you got to think yeah. Chris Drury is going to make a trade before the deadline. You know, so much was made about uh, Patrick Kane, but there's still more out there um, to be, to go after and to be for deals to be made. And, uh, and th- this is a window, the window is very much open for the Rams and, and the road to the conference finals is, is there, you know, really for, I'd say as much for the Rangers as any team in the Metro, because again, the, the Rangers beat the Carolina Hurricanes last year in the in the in the second round. It got to the conference final. So, um, and I think that I just, is, is what's pretty. What is the interesting point there? The teams that they yeah. had beaten, and you mentioned the game against Boston. Uh, it was yeah. a three-one loss, but I, you know, I I think they acquitted themselves pretty well in that game. And you mentioned a key word there um, when you talk about what Chris Drury might do with this Ranger team as it relates to kind of the, the story of the year in star power and the mm-hmm. Boston Bruins. I mean, if mm-hmm. you say that the Ranger team is, you know, can march its way into the conference final, and I, I think most would agree with you, um, Pasternak, Marchand, Bergeron, Kreji, Allmark, and mm-hmm. Swayman might be the best one-two punch in the league. I mean, in a competitive game against the Boston Bruins, uh, must have been two weeks ago now for the Rangers, yeah. I still don't think there is a team in the league right now, Pat, Rangers included, Carolina included, that can touch the Boston Bruins. I mean, Pat, how good is this team with some of the names I just mentioned, and I left a couple out, and do they have any flaws? You know, I I noticed Taylor Hall. You forgot to mention the former Hart Trophy winner and and their defense. You know, Hampus Lindholm's leading the NHL in plus-minus, and and Charlie McAvoy is the number one guy. Look, I think – I think they're, you know, they're on a ride and they're, they're certainly on a ride. Uh, you know, Jim Montgomery's done a terrific job. You know, I watched, I actually saw, I watched the devils play the Bruins in, in Newark. I was in the, you know, covering it for AP and, uh, and watched essentially the Bruins rope a dope, the devils in this, you know, steal a four, three win where they were essentially dominated for the first and third periods, but scored a four, four goals in the second. And they're just, they're just so opportunistic. You mentioned that you mentioned Pasternak and Pasternak's having some otherworldly year. Uh, 51 games. That's unbelievable. And the goal, and the goal scoring, he's just such an incredible goal scorer. And he (laughs) matches so well with, with, uh, you know, with, the, you know, the, um, he's he's been playing with Krejci mostly. Is kind of the weird thing is that you know everybody knows that the uh, the perfection line they're, they're known as with with uh, Marchand and Bergeron and 
and those guys together uh, have been so have, they've essentially terrorized the NHL offensively. And, and again, Bergeron is is such an incredible player. As somebody who you know the uh, multi time Selkie winner can can really do it. Yeah, if you don't uh, see him and, often, Pat, he's 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 yeah. probably underappreciated. Without a doubt, you know there was a long period of time where he was one of the more underrated players in the NHL, and you obviously can't say that anymore. Again, once you start getting the national recognition with the Selkie Trophy, and 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 uh, but you know he's really one of those kind of you know you, you Pasternak scores the goal, Marshan has scores and, and has antics too, and and what's interesting too is you mentioned um, the the players that are that are performing for them, and and one of them has the local ties. Pavel Zaka, you know, was was part of a trade. With the Devils, the Devils made um, to try and sort of upgrade their the toughness and sort of upgrade their defense. And, and Zaka had sort of worn thin. They were going to have to pay him. They weren't quite sure what they made of him. And he's having an incredible year playing with Hall and Krejci and, and just signed an extension w- with the Bruins. So now he's going to have that staying power. And, it's it, you know, Devils fans I know are watching him. It's going, you know, what where was this guy when we had? But, uh, you know, that, I think – it is remarkable because you're right. There's not a flaw. You can't see a flaw on this team, on the route. I mean, I don't love Swayman as the backup. You know, I'm not a fan of his, but he, he you know, he, he doesn't play that often. Omar's obviously the favorite to win the Vezina trophy. He's probably going to, you know, I think he's probably going to win it going away based on the season they ha- they're having. His, but you, his numbers are yeah. unreal, Pat. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, and you mentioned the, the season that Sorokin is having. I mean, yeah. One one nine zero goals allowed ninety four yeah. save percentage yeah. twenty six and four and I mean he's just having one of those years that I like you mentioned they're just, it, it's it's kind of poetic what they're doing and they're just yeah. having a season and it's top to yeah. bottom and I think that's where you can use that word dominance it usually people yes. will throw out a word dominance with a sports team because uh, the you know the offense is is rolling or the defense yeah. this is a complete effort from top on this ball team and you're right nobody has having the year in net that all mark is having and it's it's been beautiful yeah and the thing you know their first and goal scored their first and goals again so like you know how much better can you be and, and they've, they've lost one game in regulation at home on you know they played the winter classic they came back and beat pittsburgh in that game uh and and uh, you know they lost and it was to seattle on, on home ice uh, in regulation, they have a couple of shootout losses that kind of bizarre now the thing that I'll, you know i'll pause before this and say you're right. I think they're on a 133 point pace, which is, uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to withstand. You know, they had a, a three game losing streak uh, last week. You know, with a with a convincing loss in Carolina. I, 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 you know, and then they went to Toronto and they sort of righted the ship in Toronto, which is really what the Bruins tend to do. They 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 go to Toronto and they they win games and and they you know steal people's hearts. <laughs> but uh, you know this, Pete, as well as anybody as an NHL watcher, you know. You can have the most dominant regular season. You know, we saw it with Tampa in 2019. We, you know, if you go back far enough, we saw it with the Ava- or the the Red Wings in 1996, where you can have an all time season with you know 60 plus wins and 130 plus points, and and you know the, it's all zero zero when the postseason yeah, starts. Yeah, 100. You know, they were th- the Lightning were three nothing in Game One against the Blue Jackets, and then Columbus turned around the game and then swept them. You know, we, nobody would have seen that coming. And I, I'm not going to say that, you know, the Bruins are certainly seasoned enough and poised enough and hungry enough. I think hungry is the, you know, they have, they, they have not been to the cup final uh, since 2019. They lost on home ice game seven to the blues. 
So there is a level of hunger, certainly in the city of fan base, but also among the organization. You know, Jim Montgomery, you know, was was fired in Dallas, you know, for some you know personal issues he was mm-hmm. going through. You know, Omar was in Buffalo. He, you know, there was a lot made about whether he could be whether the Sabres were going, you know, going to ruin him or whether he was he was going to be a, a a serviceable starting goaltender in this league. And you know, so much made about Hall's inability in the playoffs, in the past. And this team has had a lot of, you know, a few really, you know, frustrating uh, postseasons uh, recently, you know, but, but you get to the playoffs and it's a different animal. You know, you mentioned Carolina and whether Carolina could compete with the Bruins, you know, Carolina beat the Bruins last year, the, in, in a seventh game, granted different team, you know, it was a, it was a, a two seven matchup or a wild card versus the division yep. winner matchup but you know Carolina ended their season last season and you know the Maple Leafs if Austin Matthews comes back healthy I, I don't trust them but there, you know there's nothing to say that they couldn't necessarily um, uh, upset you know if the Maple Leafs get a playoff series win at some point here you know they're going to start being dangerous because uh, then they're over the hump and then they they the, the pressure is completely off them and you saw you know we've seen it in past with teams that can't break hexes and, and have these sort of mental blocks and then get, persevere through them. Then, then the run, the road starts getting real slippery and downhill and going. Um, when you, especially in, in other sports, and, and hockey can be no different to some degree. But uh, you know, I, I'm not saying you put them on notice for any means because they're clearly the best Loaded, team in the yeah. league, and they're running away with the President's Trophy, and they're going to be the, the the top seed. And honestly, you know, you look at the potential matchups in the first round with them. And there's not a lot – there shouldn't be a lot of angst. Although, you know, you get to these – obviously the games are hard fought in the playoffs and, and can be difficult to win. And, and it's hard, you know, to, it's hard to win playoff games, in the especially in the NHL. But, you know, they, they have a pretty easy road, at least in the second round. And then who knows what Tampa has in the tank? Who knows if Toronto – you know, Toronto – again, Toronto sees Boston and just wilts. It's it, in the playoffs especially – um, so, you know, it's really a believe it with you, but their road to the conference final is pretty, seems pretty easy. And if somebody knocks off Carolina, they should, you know, Boston will probably, um, you know, roll to the, to the cup, you know, the, the, the road to the, to the championship is pretty, you know, is, is paid for Boston right now. And, uh, and now it's just up to the Bruins to, to do it. Well, listen, we'll see. I mean, to this point, it really yes. has been completely dominant. And Pat, again, the, the, yeah. you know, you know how highly I think you on a personal level, but this is yeah. to, to hear you talk about yeah. hockey is great. Um, you know, especially on platforms like this, you know, th- there's not enough of it. So to get your perspective yeah. on it uh, for the different types of games that you, especially with the AP and listen, I mentioned that yeah. next week's show uh, is going to be Friday for yeah. those listening live Friday, the 10th at 6 PM on the East coast. Uh, Pat doing his work with the game day. It's a great platform. They cover mm-hmm. all the major sports. Uh, you mentioned to me last night that you've got some of those uh, prop bets brewing. If you're around next yeah, Friday, yep. we'd love to have you because I know that that's a biggie, and I've got a a, yep. a, a, a significant base that is in you know DraftKings, <laughs> FanDuelers, all of that stuff. Yeah. So if you're around next yeah. Friday, brother, a little more hockey, and then definitely some Super Bowl with the betting. But um, you know, I'm with you with mm-hmm. with the Rangers still, you know, lying in the weeds, and then how good this Boston team yeah. is. It's certainly something worth following as we continue as hockey fans. Um, and as always, brother, thank you for coming on, and uh, I hope to talk to you next week. Have a good one, all right? Uh, you too, bud. Appreciate the reaching out, and, and we'll be. You got touch. it, dude. That is uh, Pat Pickens of the Game Day, and you know, you know, Pat and I go back. We used to work at uh, MLB Advanced Media together. Uh, a, a, a great dude overall, and and great insight um, from a hockey perspective um, and everything else. So as far as that is concerned, again, 
Just a reminder that next week's show, 6 p.m. live on the East Coast for those listening on the Podbean uh, live app. Of course, all shows get posted to Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn Radio, and now Samsung. Um, so we will have that for you next week. But always good to talk about Pat, uh, to talk about some hockey as well. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first, so I uh, won't be long-winded. You only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year, so uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. I know some people aren't buying it, but that sounds like a guy who's fulfilled and who has had enough. And Tom Brady announcing his retirement earlier in the week. Um, did it from a beach close to his home. And I actually saw last night... How, how ridiculous some people could be. Somebody bottled up the sand from the location that Tom Brady made that announcement is either being serious or jokingly selling it on eBay for like 600 something dollars. But Tom Brady announcing his retirement uh, this past Wednesday, 23 years in a league, seven Super Bowl titles and nine trips with two different teams, the Pats and the Bucks, five Super Bowl MVP awards, 15 Pro Bowls, and he was a three-time league MVP and all-pro first-teamer. I mean, that's that's a career in itself. You talk about the records that he set. Most career quarterback wins, 251s. Pass attempts, over 12,000. Completions, nearly 8,000. Passing touchdowns, the most ever, 649. And he's got the most career passing yards at nearly 90,000 with 89,214. Records he set in 2022, most pass attempts in a season, 733. That's... Probably due to the fact that Tampa Bay, A, wasn't very good this year, and two, really struggled to run the football. Most completions in a season, 490. Set those records this year. I mean, this is a guy that was just dominant once he got the ability to be the every Sunday starter when Drew Bledsoe went down in 2001. 251 wins in a career is unbelievable. Seven Super Bowl titles cements his legacy by getting a seventh on a new team in Tampa Bay after that legendary career with Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. I mean, that that's, that's good stuff. And you talk about where Brady is in the hierarchy of, 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 of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I mean, he's obviously number one, right? So it's always fun to kind of talk about where you would rank people or the prognosticators coming into seasons. Well, you know, this team should go 11 and five. This team will go 12 and four, 13 and four, whatever. You don't know. We have, we have no idea. But now looking back on some of the careers, any of these uh, guys have had at the quarterback position, you know, I think you can have a little fun with it as far as, you know, who do you think the best quarterbacks of all time are? So with Brady announcing his retirement earlier in the week, here's my top five. Starting at number five, John Elway. Two-time Super Bowl champ, 
went to the Pro Bowl nine times. He was the 87 MVP. And when you talk about John Elway, he was really the first quarterback that relied heavily on his legs. Both run and pass. Not to mention, John Elway wasn't afraid to take a hit. Wasn't afraid to lower the shoulder. Over 51,000 yards passing. 3,400 yards rushing in his career. Got those two Super Bowls late. Wins over the Packers and the Falcons. Yeah, I think I'd be pretty comfortable in having L.A. at my top five. And I do at number five. At number four, Johnny U. Johnny Unitas had the leadership qualities that not many athletes possess. Drive to win. Ten-time Pro Bowler. Three-time league MVP. Two-time Super Bowl champion. Excuse me, two-time champion. And he won Super Bowl five. Right, they were NFL championships before um, the introduction of the Super Bowl. Very undersized, but he could light you up in the passing game. So I got Elway 5, Unitas 4. Number 3, Peyton Manning. Intelligence. Unrivaled. I mean, off-the-charts intelligence when it came to running an offense. 539 touchdowns, two rings with two different teams, right, the Colts and the Broncos. 71,000 passes yards, 14-time Pro Bowler, five-time NFL MVP. Didn't get much better than that. Unless you were Joe Montana, who I have at number two. The GOAT until the dominance of Tom Brady, right? Four-time Super Bowl champ. Never lost a Super Bowl, by the way, Joe Montana. Two-time league MVP, eight-time Pro Bowler, affectionately nicknamed Joe Cool. I mean, certainly an understatement there. Nothing could rattle this guy. Go back to Super Bowl 23, Bank Niners. 97-yard game-winning drive. That's the stuff of legend. And until TB12, he was the greatest of all time. But then comes Tom Brady, number one. Recently retired, gave you all the accolades, nine Super Bowls, won seven of them. All those records I gave you had leadership qualities similar to Montana and Johnny U. I mean, you ever see anybody other than Tom Brady take losses that personally? Not to mention the brand he built off the field. So I think when you look at the grand scheme of things, you know, where's Marino? I get it. All right, a lot of people with not including Dan Marino or a Brett Favre. You know, I'm pretty comfortable there with that top five. Elway, Unitas, Manning, Peyton, Joe Montana, and then TB12. Tom Brady, greatest to ever do it. And he hangs it up this week after 23 years. A remarkable career uh, for just a remarkable guy. Branding on and off the field. uh, And Tom Brady uh, hangs him up with his seven Super Bowl rings. I think it's legit. You know, I know he jokingly said in the audio I played for you that uh, he used up his retirement speech last year. He's done. This is it. Uh, A long career for Tom Brady came to an end effectively Wednesday. And now, to no surprise, the Patriots are going to do what they can do. A one-day contract to make sure that Tom Brady retires as a member of the Patriots as he should. So that was, as I said at the beginning of the show, and again, special thanks to my buddy Pat Pickens from the game day coming on uh, for our hockey segment. Um, The two biggest stories of the week revolved around football on the NFL and college level. Tom Brady's retirement and the Super Bowl in the NFL, right? Well, we got that going for us. Chiefs, Eagles, we're going to have a big show breaking that down next Friday at 6 p.m. live. Uh, 
right here on the East Coast on Podbean. And then you get to last night, and you get big news out of the world of college football, that Alabama needing to replace Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator, who went back to the New England Patriots, was zeroing in on Notre Dame offensive coordinator Tommy Reese to fill that same position in Tuscaloosa. Well, they were no longer zeroing in on him. As of last night, Nick Saban sent the plane out to South Bend to pick up Tommy Reese interview. Reese accepts the offer. So now it's Notre Dame who needs an offensive coordinator. And one of the things that immediately that I did, you know, Tommy Reese, 30 years old, been heavily involved as a player and a coach with the program since 2010. His dad's an employee at the university. He breathes Notre Dame. When you got to go to some of the message boards, what people are thinking on social media. Um, you know, I tried my damnedest to get some uh, on the line today to talk about it, but it's 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 chaos out there now with everything going on uh, from a media perspective. All right, because I'm fortunate enough to have some good connections out there in South Bend. It's just chaos to see now how Notre Dame will fill these shoes of Tommy Reese. And of course, you're on social media, like I said, guys getting hammered. Bad play caller, can't make adjustments, too young for the job. Well, all these people apparently know better than Nick Saban, who's probably the greatest college coach of all time, who just went out to South Bend and poached their offensive coordinator. So everybody knows all better than Nick Saban, right? By the way, this is now an Alabama fan base that is complaining about Tommy Reese, a fan base that probably knows very little about him. And this is also an Alabama fan base that pissed and moaned when they brought in Steve Sarkeesian to run the offense as well. So it's an Alabama fan base that no matter how much you win, they're never going to be content. All they like to do is whine. But if Nick Saban is confident that he's got the the stones to fill the position, then who are you to judge? From a Notre Dame perspective, for me, I'm going to miss Tommy Reese like hell. I mean, he's Notre Dame blue through and through. And this is an opportunity for him now. I know he spent some time at Northwest. He spent some time in the NFL working as an assistant wide receiver coach uh, with Nick Sirianni, who, oh, by the way, is the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles who are going to the Super Bowl next week. But for Tommy Reese now to get a taste of what it's going to be like on the biggest of stages outside of Notre Dame, this is a great opportunity for him. And you saw how Reese handled last year's, uh, you know, unceremonious exit by Brian Kelly. Telling the team, guys, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying. So I'm, I'm sure that he thought like hell about this. Wasn't finances because Notre Dame flat came out and said it. If it comes down to money, we're going to match any offer. I think this is a career move for Tommy Reese that's going to get him some different experience, give him different perspective. And it's a good thing. I mean, Notre Dame's quarterback coach since 2017. He's been their OC since 2020. They average over 30 points a game while he was running the offense. And if you paid attention to Notre Dame football last year, as most do, whether you love him or hate him, because there's no middle ground with Notre Dame, they had to make some wild adjustments when their starting quarterback, Tyler Buckner, went down midway through the second game of the season, which turned out to be a loss to a bad Marshall team. Revamped the offensive line, went with a three-headed monster at running back, with an undersized quarterback at Drew Pine, and played well. Nine and four for a first-year coach in Notre Dame, in Marcus Freeman is a damn good year. And Tommy Reese was a big part of that. Mistakes, sure. Overthinking, sure. It's part of the job. It comes with it. 
Tommy Reese did a damn good job while he was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Look what he did on the recruiting trail as one of the lead recruiters. You think Sam Hartman's here without the influence of Tommy Reese? No. It doesn't happen. Sam Hartman transferred as, as that fifth-year transfer to ND because of Tommy Reese. And by the way, you hear that nonsense? He's, he's not going anywhere. Had videos of, uh, videos of him working out yesterday anyway. So anybody who wants to just completely hammer Tommy Reese, oh, this is good. He was a, he was a crap offensive coordinator in Notre Dame. You, you know what? Get lost. Because you don't know what you're talking about. Over 30 points a game. Really had the screws put to him the last couple of years with Brian Kelly because Brian Kelly thought he was the smartest guy in the freaking room every time he walked into one. And then Marcus Freeman lets him call his game last year. Has a quarterback go down. Awful loss to Marshall, week two. I know they had a bad loss to Stanford where they only scored 10 or 13 points or whatever it was. But on the whole, the way they played with guiding Drew Pine, who now is transferred to Arizona State, has got a good chance to be the starter at Arizona State. Some of the people that say things where they hammer these coaches like this, well, Tommy Reese, it's good. It's better for Notre Dame. So you know better than freaking Nick Saban. You're smarter than Nick Saban to say, well, Tommy Reese, it's, it's good. Notre Dame's better off without him. But he's good enough for Nick Saban, the goat of all goats when it comes to coaching. Give me a break. I think now what you'll see from an Irish perspective is now what the mindset of Marcus Freeman is going to be. Because I loved bringing in Al Golden to coach the defense, to piggyback the philosophy of Marcus Freeman. Now where does Freeman go to replace Tommy Reese? You're going to hear names like Cliff Kingsbury. Get it out of your head. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Ryan Grubb, the OC at Washington who turned down the Alabama offensive coordinator position. That's intriguing. Josh Gaddis has had his ups and downs, Miami, Penn State. It's going to be interesting to see the direction that Notre Dame goes with this. Home run hire would be Joe Brady. Joe Brady, for those of you who don't know, was the architect of LSU's 2019 uh, national championship from an offensive perspective with Joe Burrow, where they were just hammering people and route to a 15 and 0 season. Struggled as an OC in the NFL, worked closely with the quarterbacks in Buffalo, a la Josh Allen. That would probably be your home run hire. But if you wanted to stay in house, you're going to have some options in South Bend. The most interesting option to me, and I know it's been a while since he's been in the coaching arena, but an interesting option to me out in South Bend would be Ron Paulus. For those lifers familiar with Ron Paulus, the old Notre Dame quarterback, he's still a young guy. He was the ND quarterback from 94 to 97, 48 years old now, prominent on that team. He's a senior associate uh, athletic director, a football admin, um, really been a Notre Dame lifer. Did spend some time as the QB coach at Kansas from 2012 to 2014 uh, and in the same role from 07 to 10 in South Bend. 
um, passing game coordinator at Akron throughout his career before coming back to South Bend. You'd say what you want about Charlie Weiss as a head coach, but from an offensive perspective, the guy was a genius. And that's where Paulus uh, learned a lot about that craft. His son is also a backup QB um, on the Notre Dame staff. I think that would be an interesting uh, way to go. Now, it's been a while since Paulus has served in the coaching role, but you see him on the sidelines. He's impactful with this football team. Other names you might see, Warren Ruggiero, who was the OC at Wake Forest. Why does that name stand out? Well, Notre Dame's got the transfer Sam Hartman from Wake Forest, the record setter. Probably going to be Notre Dame's week one starter. You poach the the offensive coordinator from Wake Forest? Maybe. There's going to be a lot of interviews here. And the one thing I can guarantee you from the perspective of Marcus Freeman is that he's going to do his due diligence. Because the team Marcus Freeman's got coming back next year is going to be ready to roll. From the way he's built it in one full year as head coach recruiting, allowing his coaches to coach Al Golden, really taking that defense to the next level as the season went on. And the offense rolling, even with the injuries to the quarterback, thanks in large part to the coaching of Tommy Reese. Well, now you've got to replace Tommy Reese. And it's not it's not going to be easy. I think Joe Brady's the home run uh, higher if that's the route they want. You might hear names of Brian Hartline, uh, who's got the same job at Ohio State, can Freeman poach from his alma mater. Doubtful. You'll probably hear Ryan Grubb's name because he turned down the Alabama job to stay in Seattle and coach at Washington. Kingsbury, get it out of your heads. Not going to happen. Is it somebody like a Pep Hamilton? How about a David Shaw? Who stepped away from the Stanford program after a couple of down years? Football genius. Really struggled from the recruit out there in Stanford, and they just hit a wall. So there's going to be opportunity here for Marcus Freeman really to put his thumbprint on this program. Because I like what the guy's doing out there. Number one, he's, he, he, he is such a likable man. And it is completely night and day from the coach that he took over from. And some of the best way to build a program and build that confidence and continuity, you're going to have some heartbreak along the way. To see a Notre Dame lose in South Bend to Marshall, to me, was unconscionable. But you know what? Moving forward, maybe it wasn't the worst thing in the world. And they punctuate that season with a come-from-behind, gutsy, courageous win over a really good South Carolina team in the Gator Bowl. Now you got some work to do. Now you got to replace the offensive coordinator. And I am really excited to see how this gets handled. Again, Joe Brady is the big fish. You'll hear that name a lot. Marcus Freeman. You know, I mean, how about being Jack Swarbrick right now, Notre Dame's athletic director? You got to replace a football, a football offensive coordinator, and find a new head basketball coach at the end of the year when Mike Bray steps away. Wow. Not getting any sleep, Jack. Don't mess it up. 
Gotta let Marcus Freeman do his thing because he will get the job done right. It was a home run hire with Al Golden. We'll see what they have here offensively. Just a little housekeeping uh, before we wrap up today. In the NFL, Lou Anarumo, the Bengals defensive coordinator, interviewed for the Cardinals head coaching position uh, earlier in the week. The, the Bengals OC, Brian Callahan, doing the same thing. Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, was interviewing um, in Arizona as well. I don't see Kafka leaving. Uh, Wink Martindale as well. I mean, worthy, obviously. Callahan and Anarumo as well. I mean, Lou Anarumo probably should have had a head coaching job two years ago, if I'm being totally honest. Um, but from a Giants perspective, Kafka and Wink, I, I would feel comfortable saying that they probably stay with Big Blue for at least another year. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that Cardinal situation. But Anarumo, um, the defensive coordinator, highly touted one, has interviewed with the Arizona Cardinals this week. Sean Payton, we know he's going to take over the reins in Denver. Uh, the Saints gave up uh, or are going to uh, receive the Broncos' first-round pick this year, which is number 29, I believe. Their 2024 second and third-round selections for Sean Payton. So we'll see if Payton can flip the script here in Denver with Russell Wilson moving forward. There's also been, and you've probably followed this now with Cincinnati out of things, their young wide receiver, 24-year-old back-to-back 1,000-yard receiver T. Higgins on the trade block, linked to the Giants. It would give the Giants a big-bodied receiver at 6'4", 220. And I'll tell you now, would you, would you part, would you feel comfortable if you're the Giants partying with a first-round pick, go get T. Higgins? Hell yeah. If that's what it comes down to for the Giants, you want a first-round pick, you want a third-round pick for a 24-year-old at 6'4", 220, who Jones can put it up? Yeah. I want all in. Jones doesn't throw the ball deep all that much as it is. So adding a player like Higgins would give you that possession ability, which they have guys like Richie James, should they bring him back? Darius Slayton, should they bring him back? And the emergence of Isaiah Hodgins. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. But if you're telling me that it would be a first and a third... For a T. Higgins, go get him. We'll see what happens. Is he on the block? Hmm. Other people want to know, is he a product of playing alongside Chase and Boyd? I think T. Higgins is a stud without those guys. And I think he'd look damn good in a Giants uniform. LeBron James zeroing in on the NBA scoring record. We're going to keep an eye on that as well. Kyrie Irving, it never freaking ends with this guy. Requesting a trade out of Brooklyn. If not, he's going to leave via free agency. Look, I know Kyrie Irving can break down any defender that comes his way. I get it. I know he can piggyback you to, to, to a game in the playoffs. And then you rely on the team to get you some other W's along the way. But this guy is a walking headache. If the demands aren't met, he's going to leave via free agency. Let him leave. Let him leave. You already have to deal with the headache of Kevin Durant. I just, I, I I can't believe, really the NBA as a whole, everybody wants to hammer pro soccer players for acting like divas. I mean, have you watched the NBA? And believe me, I watch every single Nick game, every night, every Nick game. The 10 o'clock's get tough because the baby's tired and I get tired, I gotta go to work. But I watch every single Nick game. NBA players are, are, are children, folks. And it's it's starting to leave a little bit of bad taste in my mouth. Every freaking call they complain about. Want to have a soccer players? Watch the NBA. We're going to get more into the NBA talk as it goes. And before I get out of here, mentioned 
um, during the week when I put out the ads for the show. Loads of college basketball coming up, right? If you're a fan of college hoops this year, I'm going to give you a recommendation. Sit down and watch a Purdue game. Sit down and watch a Houston game. And make sure you sit down and watch an Alabama game. These are, my, in my opinion, the three best teams in the country. This Alabama team is Final Four national title good. Brandon Miller, this young forward, they have 19 points, 8 boards a game. Javon Quinterly is a local guard from Hudson Catholic in New Jersey. I mean, so good they just rewarded their head coach, Nate Oates, with a big contract. Do yourself a favor if you're a Hoops fan. College Hoops, watch Alabama. Houston's got nearly five players, led by Marcus Sasser, who I think is the best all-around player in the country, averaging in double figures. So their Final Four good. And Purdue, right now, is the consensus number one team in America in the polls. Zach Eady, the big guy, 22 points, 13 boards, two blocks. You know, people will float out um, UCLA. Yeah, you know, I like UCLA. Dropped two of the past three. Teams like UVA. Virginia's very good. Um, Tony Bennett probably, you know, in the top, in the conversation for top three coaches in the country. And then what this Arizona team has done at 19 and three. I mean, to have, for what, from my perspective to this point, Purdue, Houston, Alabama, UCLA, Arizona, those are the, the, the best teams that I've seen to this point. If I had to pick top five and one, Virginia would probably be my sixth. Because the college landscape, the way that this is setting up, you, you know, those listening live, we've got Duke, Carolina today. You've you got a monster slate of games next week. Come tournament time. I mean, it's going to be anybody's game. But if you're asking me, outside of my top five, I really love the brand that Purdue, Houston, and Alabama are playing. I mean, Purdue's just out of their minds right now. Houston, a couple of tough losses, one to Alabama, and a heartbreaker to Temple. And then the Alabama team, I'm telling you, this kid Brandon Miller is a stud. Those are the three that you'd zero in on. I think there's good teams out there, Texas, Tennessee, right, right on that, in, that, in that group with, with uh, Virginia, who's up to number two in the polls now. But I think overall, this is going to be one hell of a tournament come March. Conference championships are going to be unbelievable. And that's where we take this as we continue to go with this show. Again, I cannot thank you all enough for the listenership that you've given me. And we've got some guests coming up. You know, this is a, a national show with a New York flair. And one of the nice things about broadcast, even in our backyard in Staten Island, we've got minor league baseball teams, the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. We're going to have some guests on there. they got a first-year manager in Homer Bush. You know that name used to play for the Blue Jays and the Yankees. All right? Been about the, around the block a few times. All right? We've got the Knicks, the Rangers, the Islanders, the Devils. We've got the local colleges. St. John's playing pretty well. Fordham's off to a pretty good start in college basketball. St. John's got a couple of nice wins on its resume this year. So could not have made it to this point without the listeners, and I profusely thank you. The program for next week. My wife's got me running that 5K that I mentioned. That's going to be next Saturday. So we're going to move the show prime time on Super Bowl week. 
We're going to be going live 6 p.m. Eastern time, Friday, February 10th. My buddy Bruce Shine of MLB Network fame is going to join us. Pat will be back to go over some gambling insights. We're gearing up for Super Bowl 57, and we've got a loaded show. It's going to be next Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, uh, right here on Podbean Line. And, of course, everything posts to Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, and Samsung uh, shortly after uh, the live show comes to an end. So with that being said, I want to thank Pat Pickens uh, for joining us from the game day, breaking down all things NHL. Good job, as always, with that. Uh, the callers that chimed in really appreciate it. I will talk to you again Friday, 6 p.m., as we gear up for the Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the Eagles. Have a great week, everybody. I'll talk to you next Friday. Sports Today with Peter J.